Oh, praise God. Let me, let me start off by reading something to you. I thought this was really, really awesome, and it ties into the message tonight. Uh, this is called the Russell Herman's Last Will and Testament. In 1994, a 67-year-old carpenter named Russell Herman died in Marion, Illinois. In his last will and testament, he bequeathed the following. $2.4 billion to the town of Cave and Rock. $2.4 billion to the city of East St. Louis. $1.5 billion for projects in southeastern Illinois. And in a final act of unprecedented generosity, he left $6 trillion to the Federal Reserve to pay off the national debt. Of course, today that's not enough because the national debt is doubled. There was only one problem. At the time of his death, the only thing that Mr. Herman actually owned was a 1983 Oldsmobile tornado. Russell Herman may not have left behind anything of monetary value, but he did leave us all with a good reminder. You can't give away what you don't possess. The bottom line is that he did not have the resources to make any of this a reality. Not so with God. He has all the means to make good on all of his promises. Our big idea today is this. In a world of broken promises, God can be counted on. Amen. And tonight I want to continue on the lines of the promises of God. Last time I spoke, we talked about the integrity of his word. We talked about the importance and the power of God's word. When he, when he speaks forth his word, we, we learn that something happens. We saw that in Isaiah 55, verse 11, where it says that, So shall my word be that calls forth from out of my mouth. It says, It will accomplish what I please and prosper wherever I send it. We also saw in, verse, uh, in Psalm 89, which is a very powerful verse, where God had entered into a covenant with David. And then in that chapter, he lists many of the promises that God was going to make with him. And in that verse, in verses 34 and 35, God said to David these words. He says this, My covenant I will not break. And he says, Neither will I alter the words or change the words that come out of my lips. He says, Once I have given my word, I will not lie to David. Very powerful promise that God has made. But God has made the same promise to us because we've entered into a much better covenant. And God, if... If the covenant during the Old Testament was that um, where God was willing to and was more determined to keep his promise, where he would tell David that I will not break my covenant and I will not alter my words that come out of my mouth. Everything that I say will come to pass. The Bible says that we have a much better covenant. And so if we have a much better covenant, the promises of God is just as sure for us today as it was back then in the Old Testament. And that's something to get excited about. Amen. We talked about the fact that, if you remember, I mentioned there are two thoughts that we need to remember about promises. The first one is that a promise is a commitment to do something. The second thought that I want to remember is that a promise is only as reliable as the one who makes it. But I want to add another thought that I think is very important to remember. And that is this, a promise is valuable only if the one making it has a trustworthy character and has the ability to carry it out. 
And as we saw in Herman Russell, he did not, he did not have the ability to carry out all of the things that he bequeathed the city of, of, of St. Louis and all these other cities because he didn't have it. He didn't have nothing to give. But God in all of his resources has everything to give. Amen. So keep in mind, when it comes to promises, to many people, a promise is just merely a good intention that can easily be cast aside whenever it gets in the way. And it seems like today promises are meant to be broken. That's how people see promises. But when it comes to God, when he makes a promise, it's more than just good intentions. And it's more than just uh, wishful thinking. When God makes a promise, he makes good on his promise. Let me just say this. God has the best track record when it comes to making good on his promises. After all, he's had over 6,000 years of experience in keeping the promises that he has made. So we can bank on what, when, when God says something concerning your life and your situation, you can bank on it because God's the one that spoke it. And what I love about God is his unchanging character. Because when he said, the Bible says that uh, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent or change his mind. So when God says something about you concerning your life, God's not going to change his mind and say, oop, I think I made a mistake. Once he's spoken to your life, whatever promise he's made in your life concerning your situation, it's as good as done. Okay. So that's what I want you to understand. He will not change his word. So if you have your Bibles with you, go to Hebrews chapter 10. Understand that as Christians, our lives rest on the foundation of God's promises for today and the future. Hebrews chapter 10. Now, we talked about the last time about integrity, and we defined integrity as the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles or moral uprightness. We also learned that some of the words that define integrity are words like honesty, dependability, honor, reliability, truthfulness, and trustworthiness. We talked about how integrity is a reflection of God's character embodied in his word. And so when God speaks his word, he's reflecting who he is. Truthful, honest, reliable, dependable, honorable, and trustworthy. So when God speaks, well, okay, I'll get into that later. So we're, okay, are you in Hebrews 10? Yes, sir. All right. Verse 23 says this, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Now the word faithful here in the Greek means true to be true to one's word. It carries the idea of being dependable, reliable, and trustworthy. And the word trustworthy, you're going to hear me say all night because it's an emphasis. It's a, it's a theme for tonight's message. How many of you know or of someone that you can really trust? Trust with your very life. Trust that you can share anything when you never, and you know that it's never going to get out. Okay. How many would you say you have five people that you can trust like that? Not nobody. <laughs> would you say one person? You have one person that you can trust with your very life. And that's pretty much the way it is. Because in reality, you can't really trust everybody. 
You don't want to trust everybody with your life or with your, your, you know, your, your mistakes or your issues. There's usually one person that we can really rely on and trust. With God, you can trust. Listen, the word of a doctor, the word of a lawyer, the word of a psychiatrist, the word of a teacher, the word even of a pastor, the word of a friend, a brother, a sister, you cannot count on. But God's word you can count on because he is trustworthy. He is faithful. The living word, the living translation says that God can be trusted to keep his promise. The Amplified Version says this, that he who promised is reliable, sure, and faithful to his word. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20 says this, For all of the promises of God in him are yea or yes, and in him amen to the glory of God. I read a story where a woman was praying for her husband. And now, of course, the husband wasn't saved. The husband was mean and cantankerous, and he was just, he was just a no-good husband. But she would always pray for him. And the only word that she used was 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. She would confess that all the time. She would say all of the promises of God in him are yes concerning her husband. And she would confess that all the time. Even then her husband did, even though there was no change in her husband, even though the husband was mean and, and rotten to her, but she still prayed and still believed that all of the promises of God are yes and amen. And one day she gathered up some of the prayer warriors from church and they began to pray for her husband and began to pray for her husband because the husband had told her this. He says, I'm going to kill you today. He says, I'm going to kill you today. So if you believe in God, you better pray to him now because if he doesn't do anything, you're dead. So she gathered up all her family members and her prayer warriors and they just prayed. And the only verse that she stood on was in First Corinthians chapter, or Second Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty, where he says, "For all of the promises of God in Him are yes and amen." Wouldn't you know that God delivered that man? She was not killed. The man got saved. The man got delivered, all because she stood in the promises of God. And here's the thing: even though it didn't seem like it wasn't changing, even though it seemed like he was getting even more meaner and more cantankerous, she never stopped believing and confessing the word of God. Because she believed that all of the promises of God are in him, yes, and amen. It's interesting because if, if the promises of God are in him, yes, then all of the promises of God that are not in him must be no. And that's something we need to, I mean, some people will, will, will quote this and say, all the promises of God is yes, but that's not true. It's only yes if it's in him or in Christ. And the reason why it's in Christ is because of the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. And that blood guaranteed that all of the promises of God is guaranteed to us. So we have every right to claim the promises because Jesus sealed it and sealed this new covenant with his blood. Making this promise a guarantee for all of us. So yes, we can say all of the promises of God are in him, yes, and amen. And we have a right to claim that because it's ours. Amen. Go to Psalm chapter 12. Psalm 
So all of the promises that have been provided by this new covenant is yes, not if, not maybe, not I'll think about it. It's yes and amen. It's a resounding yes. One of the reasons why we can trust and rely on God's word is because his word is pure. In Psalm chapter 12 and verse 6, it says this, The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. So in other words, the word of the Lord is like his nature, untarnished, unblemished, and impeccable. When he was talking about the word of God, he was saying that his word is untarnished, unblemished, perfect. One of the purposes of, of refining silver is to, is to get it to its purest form. And by doing that, they remove all the impurities that are in the silver. And he, it's interesting how he uses the process of refining silver to compare the pureness of God's word. Because it's perfect. If God lied, then you would have to say that his word is flawed. A flaw is when something is not perfect. When something is, uh, has a blemish. But God's word has no blemishes. God's word is not tainted with deceit. God's word is not tainted with, with empty promises. His word is sure. His word is unblemished. His word is perfect and pure to its, to its purest form. And it's interesting how the author wanted to make us understand the purity of God's word. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 5 says this, Every word of God is pure, refined, untarnished, flawless, and impeccable. So when God makes a promise to you, if God gives a word to you, it is pure. It is untarnished. It is not tainted with deceit. It is not tainted with empty promises. But the word of God will speak forth and not only speak forth, but it will produce something in your life. So when we talk about flaws, we talk about the imperfections, we talk about the blemishes, we talk about the faults, we talk about the deficiencies. We all qualify somewhere in that category, but not God or his word. The Bible says in Hebrews 6.18 that it is impossible for God to lie. And we know that Numbers 23.19 says, for God is not a man that he should lie. God is the very essence of righteousness and truth. Therefore, he cannot lie. So every word that comes out of his mouth is truth. So all of his words are pure. As I mentioned before, that a promise is only reliable as the one who makes it. And if God is the one making that promise, you can have confidence in the one making that promise concerning your life. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Understand what I'm going to do tonight is that I'm like an attorney. Um, I'm sort of gathering conclusive evidence so that I can present it before you, the jury, so that you can judge for yourself whether God's word is true or not. Whether you believe that God's word is trustworthy or not. So I'm just gathering all these conclusive evidence. And I think that by now, I think I have enough evidence to prove that God's word is true. But I'm going to leave that up to you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 says this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and make your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Verse 24 says, he who calls you is faithful or trustworthy, who will also do it. Do what? Verse 23. Can you put verse 23 up there? To sanctify you completely and to preserve you blameless, body, soul, and spirit. And the reason why he says he can do it is because he's able to do that. Because he's faithful. If God was not faithful, if God was not trustworthy to sanctify us completely, and if God was not faithful or trustworthy to preserve us blameless, body, soul, and spirit, then it would be useless for God to call us because he's not going to be able to do it anyways. But because God called us, it's because he's able to do it because he is faithful. I want you to say this with me. God is faithful. God is trustworthy. Go to Isaiah chapter 55. Not only is God trustworthy in keeping his promise, but God is able to keep his promise. God has the power and the ability to carry out what he says he will do. While you're turning there, I'm going to read something to you from Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 27. It says this, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? The question is, is anything too hard for God? When it comes to God's word, when it comes to his promises, his promises is a lifetime guarantee that will always accomplish and prosper. In verse 10, it says, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Verse 11. So shall my word be that goes forth from out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I send it. What I want you to see here is this. That God's word has power producing ability. That means that the word alone can accomplish something. And I, what I love about this word is, is it's so powerful because wherever God sends it, it's going to accomplish something. It's going to produce something. And if, there's any, if you can't get anything, please get this. God's word has a self-producing power. That once God speaks forth his word, that word is carried around and, and getting to the place where God is placing it, God, where God is sending it, and is doing something. As effective as the snow and the rain is to the earth, so is God's word when it comes to your situation and your life. It will produce something because it has that self-producing power. It, it, just, it makes the word come forth by itself. That's how powerful God's word is. So when God is making a promise, you know it's going to produce something. Amen? Amen. Nothing is too difficult for God. Go to Genesis chapter 18. I'm talking about the power of God's word. How God is able to meet every promise. God has the ability to carry out whatever promises he makes. Not only is he trustworthy, but he's powerful and able to do so. 
Genesis chapter 18, we read a story where Abraham was entertaining three strangers. And of course, one of those three strangers was God. And of course, the other two were angels. And, as, and we'll pick up in verse 10, where it says this. Let me find it first. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. There's a promise. Now, and it says, of course, it says that Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. So in other words, she was overhearing this conversation. All she knew that this was a stranger, but the stranger was actually God talking to Abraham and promising that his wife was going to have a child. Now, it's interesting because in verse 11, it's almost like the author stuck that in there just to remind us of the present circumstances of Abraham and Sarah in light of the promise that God had made. He said, Sarah, your wife shall have a son. But verse 11 says this, now Abraham and Sarah were old. But he didn't stop there because he continued and said he's well, they're also well advanced in age. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Verse 12 says this. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure? And my Lord being old also. So naturally when she heard that, she didn't take him seriously because she thought it was funny. The reason why she thought it was funny because it was impossible for her to have a child at that stage of her life. I mean, you're 90 years old, or actually at this point she was 89 years old, and she was already way past childbearing age, and plus not to, not to mention the fact that she was barren. So there was no way that she was going to have a child. So naturally when she hears that, it's, it's funny. It's a joke. But then God doesn't consider that a joke. Whenever God makes a promise, it's not a joke to him. Verse 13 says this, And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? So once again, we see God's word or God's promise being questioned. Why? Because of the impossibility of a 90-year-old woman bearing a child. That is, that's unheard of. I don't know, has anybody ever heard of a woman 90 years of age give birth to a child? So, and, okay, thank you. <laughs> Nobody knows but John. John's the only one that knows. <laughs> thank you, John. But God responds to Sarah's doubt with these words. Verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life. And Sarah shall have... A son. You can see how adamant God was and, and determined to fulfill his promise. Now, having said that, even though Abraham and Sarah could not see in the natural that God could possibly fulfill this promise. In the natural, it was impossible. And they couldn't see it. Even though their eyes, their ears, their mind, their feelings, and their bodies are screaming at them. That this is impossible and it cannot happen. But yet in the face of impossibilities, the Bible says nothing is too difficult for God. God is not going to make a promise that he cannot do, that he cannot fulfill. God will never lie whenever he promises something, nor he will change his, nor he will change his mind. 
No matter how impossible, no matter how difficult the situation is, God says if he, if he promised it, he's going to do it. Now look in Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21. I'm trying to show you that God has the ability and power to fulfill and to carry out every promise he makes, no matter how impossible or how difficult it may be. Genesis chapter 21 and verse 1, it says this, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. Verse 2. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God has spoken to him. But I like what he said. He said, the Lord visited Sarah as he said. In other words, just as God said he would do, he did. Exactly the way he did it. The, exactly the time he said he was going to do it. So you can see how accurate God's word and God's promise is. Now, let me ask you this. Is a child from a dead womb too difficult for the one who called all things into existence? No. Sarah, we talk about Abraham's faith, but Sarah's faith was just as powerful. You know, in the beginning, both their faith was not there. But somewhere in the process, they developed strong faith. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Sarah's faith was a dynamic example of what it is to believe the impossible. Hebrews 11.11 says this, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful or trustworthy who had promised. Sarah believed in the impossible, and God showed her the impossible. Because God, because um, Sarah was willing to believe because she saw him as faithful who promised that because she was able to believe in the, in the impossible, God rewarded her faith and gave her the impossible. And I think this is where so many of us struggle. Because I know that many of us are believing God for something. And for some of us, we've probably been waiting for quite a long time. But you know, you should never stop expecting from God. Because if he made a promise to you concerning that situation, you can bank that that promise will be kept. Because God's word, God has integrity. When God speaks, things happen. His word has a self-producing power. He keeps his word no matter how impossible or how unreasonable no matter the human impossibilities, despite the fact that even reason are, is crying out and saying it can't happen. When God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Go to Romans chapter 4. Who could believe that Sarah, being 90 years of age, could conceive a child? And carry that child full term and then give birth to that child. Who can believe that? Who can believe that Abraham, who was 100 years old, was able to produce a child and be able to raise up the child to adulthood? But here's what I want you to understand doing the impossible is everyday business for God. This is nothing new for God. 
That means that our biggest problems, our biggest circumstances, our biggest issues, our biggest difficulties may not seem as impossible if we count God as being faithful or trustworthy. Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 25 says this. God says this. I speak, and the word which I speak will come to pass. He also says, I will say the word, and I will perform it. Abraham believed as well. Because the Bible says that he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Verse 21. And being fully convinced or fully persuaded or completely assured that what God had promised, God was also able and powerful and capable enough to perform it. And keep in mind, their faith wasn't there in the beginning, but somewhere along the process, they began to believe that God was going to fulfill his promise. And in verse 19, it says that Abraham considered not his body, which was now dead. And it's interesting, too, because when Abraham had Ishmael, he was 86 years old. But at 99 years of age, he couldn't have children anymore. But you know, when God says, I'm going to give you a son, age, inability, or physical inability doesn't matter. Because if God promised it, it's going to happen. Amen? Amen? God is going to do the impossible, and nothing, God is not limited to what he can do. And please understand what I'm trying to say. This may sound redundant by going over this over and over again, but what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to encourage your faith, and I'm trying to get you to, to, to hang on to the promises of God. I want you to just not disbelieve that God is not going to come through for you, but God will, will come through for you. And, we have to, and you've got to understand that the, the heart of the Bible is the promises of God. And we stand and believe everything that God has said, every word, every announcement, every message, every prophecy that is in the word is a promise to us. And all of the promises of God are in him, yes and amen. So we have the right to claim those promises and we have a right to receive those promises because if God wasn't going to fulfill that promise, then he wouldn't have made it in the first place. But because God made the promise, he is able to do that, and he is trustworthy enough to do that. So you need to just simply trust him. The most important thing that you can give God is your trust. Amen. 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 If God is going to to do the impossible, he's going to do the impossible. Now, go to Genesis chapter 1. I'm still talking about God having the ability to carry out his promises. No matter how difficult, no matter how impossible, no matter even if we think it's too late. You know, I remember a story with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego where they were commanded to bow down before idols. And when the time came for them to bow down, everyone in the nation bowed down to the idols except the three young Hebrew boys. And understand that they knew what the consequences were. So did everyone else. But they were the only three that stood up and refused to bow down to idols because of their conviction in their faith in God. They knew that they could not worship idols. So they refused to do that in spite of the consequences. And so they were brought before the king 
And the king gave them one more chance, one more opportunity to correct themselves. And they said to the king, King, God is going to deliver us out of your hand. But if and if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down. They had, they had faith that God was going to deliver them. Now, stop and think about this. And so, of course, this angered the king so much that he had the furnace turned up seven times hotter. And then they bound them up. They brought them up to the, to the, to the tip of the furnace. Now, imagine yourself being bound up and being, getting ready to be thrown into the fire. They are facing a horrible, painful, agonizing death. At that time, they could have changed their mind. I said, you know, King, I changed my mind. Let's rethink this again. let's, let's, Let's go over this again. But at that point, they still refused to bow down. And at that point, that would have been a good time for God to deliver. I know that if I was facing a situation like that, I would want God to deliver me before I get into the fire. That would be a great time for God to come in and rescue me. But God didn't do that. They got thrown into the fire. But then they saw a fourth person in there. And what I want you to see is this. Some of us may think it's too late because we're already in the fire. But it's not too late for God. Amen. Because God rescued them while they were in the fire. Amen. God could have rescued them before they got into the fire, which would have been ideal but God rescued them while we're in the fire. It's never too late for God to rescue you. Some of you may be in the fire, but don't give up. God's going to rescue you, even while you're still in the fire. Amen? Because God keeps his promise. Genesis chapter 1 says this. The earth... Was without form and void. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. And then verse 2 says, the earth was without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Verse 3 says, then God said that there be light. And then there was light. When God spoke, something incredible happened. In this case, he says, let there be light. And light came. So the words God said is mentioned 10 times in this chapter. And every time he said, it said God said, something came up instantly and remarkable. Something remarkable happened right away, instantly. And then it also said in some of the verses, it also ends with, and it was so. So I'm going to read some scriptures to you. And every time I say, and God said, I want you to repeat that. Then every time I say, and it was so, then I want you to repeat that as well, okay? Let's go to verse 11. Then God said, are we all here today? I think I said, you can, uh, are you awake? Yes, sir. Okay, let's do this again. Then God said, then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. Okay, very good. Look down to verse 14. Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. Next verse. And let them be for the lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Look down in verse 24. 
Then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth, and each according to its kind. And it was so. What do we see here? That whenever God said something, it happened. It became so. What is God saying to you about you? Because whatever God is saying about you, you can bet it's going to be so. If God says you're healed, it is so. If God says you're going to prosper, it is so. If God says you're going to be delivered, it is so. If God says you're going to be powerful and mighty and charging hell with a water pistol, it is so. Whatever promise, whatever God says about you, success, prosperous, health, strong, delivered, set free. He says, it is so. What do he say about your marriage? If he promised prosperity, if he promised bliss, happiness, and joy in your marriage, it is so. What do he say about your children? The Bible says children are heritage of the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is his reward. If that's what God says about your children, it is so. What is God saying about you? Because whatever God spoke into your life, it's going to happen. It's going to come to pass. Go to Psalm 33. Psalm 33. Verse 6 says this. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. Now go down to verse 9. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded And it stood fast. I'm talking about the power of God's word. His ability to carry out what he says. And I want you to take this personal. Because God has a lot to say about you in his word. And everything that he says about you in his word. It is so. Will come to pass. Amen. Amen. Now. Go back to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 says this. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. What I want you to hold, uh, look at is this. First part of that verse says, let us hold fast or let us be steadfast. In other words, whatever it is you're doing, whatever you're going through, be steady, stay fast, and wait upon the Lord when his promises come through. Sometimes when we're waiting for the promises of God, it's, and I understand because it's human nature, we struggle with this because when the promises of God are delayed, and we expect God to come through at a particular time, and it doesn't happen, it's very hard to wait on the promises of God. It gets tiresome when you keep going before God again and again and again with the same prayer. It's hard to sit and wait for God to come through. And there's always a temptation to fight off discouragement, doubt, and questioning God's word. 
Even to the point where sometimes we want to quit and give up and just take matters into our own hands and make our own decisions and find our own way out or find our own resources. But that never works. But whenever you find yourself quitting or about to quit, this is when you need to stay fast and trust and believe in the promise of God. Trust and believe that God is faithful to fulfill his promise in your life. I want you to go to Genesis, I mean, Numbers chapter 11. I'm going to look at this story here. <clears throat> Numbers chapter 11. In verse 23, it says this. Well, you know what, before I go there, let me just give you a little background of the story. This is when Moses was leading his children, uh, God's children, into the wilderness. And uh, it got to a point where the children of Israel were complaining and became really rebellious. And, you know, they were just up and on. They were angry. They were kept talking about how things were better in Egypt and how they should have stayed in Egypt. And they were complaining. And here's the reason why they were complaining. They got tired of eating manna. You ever get tired of eating something every day, the same old thing all the time? <laughs> okay, I think I touched on something. <laughs> and, you know, you kind of wish you had something different. You know, is there something else in the menu? Can you, you know? But they were tired of manna. Manna in the morning, manna in the afternoon, and manna at night, even at midnight snack. And they got tired and said, Dude, we're done. We're, I don't want this anymore. And he told Moses, Moses, can you go to God and tell us that we want some meat? We want some chicken. We, we want some yard bird. We want some barnyard strollers for a change. And it got so bad that Moses was fed up. Moses, he was up to here. And he went to God and says, Lord, I can't do this anymore. Lord, these are your children, not mine. I didn't give birth to them. These are yours. This is your idea. Lord, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, just kill me and be done with it because this is too heavy for me. And then God looked at him and said, well, choose 70 men from among you. And I will put my, your spirit in them so they can take care of some of the burdens and some of the responsibilities. So you won't have to do it alone. And don't worry about the food or the meat because I'm going to provide meat for them as well. As a matter of fact, I'm going to provide them with so much meat, they're going to have enough for the month. As a matter of fact, they're going to have so much meat, it's going to come out of their nostrils. As a matter of fact, there's going to be so much meat that they're going to get tired of it. But I will give them meat. Because it's what they ask. Now, what is interesting is in verse 22, where Moses, having heard that, said, okay, Lord, you said that you're going to provide meat for a whole month. But I have 600 foot soldiers that are with me. And that's not even including the women and the children and the elderly, because there are about 2 million people. But he said, there are 600,000 soldiers with me. Lord, do you think that the livestock is going to be enough to satisfy them? Or perhaps maybe if we gathered all of the fish in the ocean, do you think that's going to satisfy them? Now, you see what Moses was doing. Moses was sort of doubting God. He says, Lord, if, if this is not enough to feed 600,000, how, how much food do you think we're going to need to feed 2 million? So we can see there was some doubt in Moses' mind. But here's the interesting thing. The Bible says that God had delivered the children of Israel from Egypt with a mighty hand. Right. 
And Moses was the instrument by which God used his power to demonstrate his power in order to deliver them. Now, Moses must have had a senior moment because he's completely forgot about that. And now he began to question God. Lord, how are you going to feed 600 uh, people when we've got too many with just our livestock? This is what we do. Moses does what we've done. I'm sure we've done this. That when we're believing God for something, the first thing we begin to wonder is how God is going to do it. Then we begin to wonder when God's going to do it. Then we begin to wonder by what method God is going to use in order to do what he says he's going to do. So while we're sitting here trying to figure out how God is going to do this, understand that when God fulfills a promise, it's always going to be on his terms, in his time, by his methods. As a matter of fact, God will answer your prayers or fulfill a promise in your life, and it's usually in a way that you don't even expect. And so Moses was doing just that. He was wondering, okay, Lord, he was looking at the livestock because that was the only thing that seemed logical to feed them meat. There was no other meat anywhere else unless they went out and got some fish. But those are the only two resources that were available in Moses' mind, in the natural. But see, God never does things in the natural. He does things in the supernatural. When he fulfills your promise, God, listen, God's resource is so unlimited that God can pull wherever he wants to fulfill whatever need you have. And it's interesting because the Bible goes on to say that he caused the wind to push these quails right where they were. And it's interesting, I did a study on this. Quails, when they migrate, they migrate from Europe and they fly all the way towards the Middle East. And the way they do that is when they're flying, they do it at top speed. And then at some point, they drop elevation, but still go full speed until they reach a certain point where they have to land because they're so exhausted they can't fly anymore. And so they lay still on the ground for hours until they get rested. But what God did was he caused the wind to cause them to fly just a little bit further to where the children of Israel were and made sure that there was enough quail. And the Bible says that there were quails a mile on every side, and they were all flying at three feet from the ground so that it was easier for them to catch. And, of course, by that time they were so exhausted, they can catch all the quails they wanted. But what I want you to see is this, how God is able to even alter the course of the quail to bring them all the way to where you are to meet whatever need you ask for. Because God's resources are unlimited. God can open up doors where there are no doors to open. God can make a way where there is no way. God can cause a, a, a woman's dead womb to come alive and give birth to a child. If God can do that, how much more can God do for you? God is unlimited to what he can do. Don't worry about the... Listen, you may be worrying about the doors that have been shut and opportunities that have been lost. But don't think that that's it and that's final. God can create opportunities. God can open up doors. God can... You know what we do? I I don't do it. Maybe some of you do it. (laughs) Some of you may be praying, maybe have a financial need. And you might be praying... And then you're trying to figure out, okay, Lord, how are you going to do this? And so some of you are imagining your neighbor hitting the lottery. 
And then God is going to move in their heart to give you half of their earnings. How many of you thought it like that? (laughs) But see, what we do is we're trying to figure out how the method, rather than just trusting for the outcome. Don't worry about how God's going to do it. Don't worry about when God's going to do it. Just wait for the outcome. Go to Psalm 62. Psalm 62. This is the attitude that we should all have. The attitude that David had. In verse 5, it says this. My soul wait silently for God alone. For my expectation is not from my neighbor, not from my parents, not from my pastor, not from anyone else but from him. Next verse. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. That's the attitude that we should have. Some of you may be waiting a long time, but if you hold fast because the only source, your only source is God. He's the one that can tap into whatever resources that you need because he knows where they're at. Go to Hebrews chapter 6. When, when, when uh, David said, my soul waits silently for God and, my, and, for, and for my expectation is from him. And he says that I shall not be moved. What he's really saying is this. I will not allow anything to discourage me nor distract me. He says, I'll keep on trusting him until I see with my eyes the fulfillment of what he promised he would do. And how many of you know that when you're waiting on God, there are a lot of distractions? And those distractions can take your eyes off of God. And before you know it, you're worrying about your situation again. Rather than getting your eyes back on the Lord and your expectation is from him, not from anybody else. He said him and him alone is his source But don't allow the distractions to deter you. Don't allow the distraction to discourage you. But stay, hold fast. Be steadfast. Stand waiting silently. And watch God move. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 13 says this. When God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. The next verse. Saying, surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. Verse 15. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Say this with me. After he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Now say it like this. I have patiently endured, and I obtained the promise. This is what we need to do. Wait silently, look to God as the only source, and be patient. Even though patience is one of the nine fruits of the Spirit, it's already in us, so therefore we have the ability to wait. But some of us have not been developed in that area just yet. But I trust that if you wait on the Lord and be patient, don't be moved because of how long you've been waiting. Don't be moved by your age. Don't be moved by your circumstances. Don't be moved because the doors are closed and opportunities have been lost. 
Just trust in God and then wait for the outcome. Because God is silently moving quietly behind the scenes, working and moving for your promises to come forth. Because we think that, we're just, that God is not doing anything. Sometimes we think that God is not even hearing our prayers. God has heard your prayers. God is not deaf. He's got perfect hearing. He, he, he walks in divine health. But he hears your prayers, and God is already working. So what I want you to do is I just want you to sit quietly, silently, and wait patiently for the outcome. Because the outcome will come. God says it will. He says, when I speak, things happen. When I speak into your life, whatever promises I've made is going to come to pass. Okay. It's as good as done. Don't think of anything else. It's as good as done. It's his word. And God has integrity. If there's anyone you can trust, it's God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you, Father God, that your word is powerful. Your word is alive. Father, that your word is able to fulfill every promise. Your word is able to speak into our lives and and make things happen. Your word is a self-producing, powerful entity, Father God, that is able to do all things. Father, I thank you, Father God, that we can stand upon your promises and know, Father God, that things will happen in our lives. Thank you, Father, for our salvation. Thank you, Father, for financial blessings. Thank you, Father God, for a close and personal, intimate relationship with you. Thank you for delivering us, Father God. Thank you, Father God, that we walk in divine health. Thank you, Father God, for every promise that you made because we believe that all of the promises of God are in him, yes, and in him, amen. Thank you, Father God, for my promises are nigh. Thank you, Lord God, that the outcome is just around the corner. Thank you, Father God, that as I wait patiently for the outcome, I thank you for strengthening me and helping me to wait and be patient quietly because you alone are my source. Thank you, Father God, that you are trustworthy, that I can trust you like I can't trust no man. Father, I can trust you and believe that you're able and have the power and the ability to do what you said you're going to do. Father, you were able to create the heavens and the earth just by speaking forth your word. So therefore, I know, Father God, that when you speak your word concerning my life, I know that things are going to happen. Thank you, Father God, for for the power of your word. Thank you for your promises in my life. And Lord, for this we thank you. And we give you all the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.